Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Edu slash podcast. If you are leading change, building a team, or implementing new procedures, Gonzaga University's online master's in organizational leadership gives you the tools for success. With concentrations in change, global, and servant leadership, you'll get the most relevant training and education to help you tackle any challenge. Visit gonzaga.edu slash leader and find out how Gonzaga's organizational leadership degree can affect positive change in your life and career. That's gonzaga.edu slash leader. You know, I guess I think I've always been a professional critic, you know, or some sort of professional appreciator or something. Now this is serious business here, man. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. 24-year-old Ty Siegel writes classic pop songs and then drenches them in garage rock fuzz. I'm Greg Cotter of the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. Ty Siegel and his band join Greg and me on stage for a special live recording of Sound Opinions. And later, we'll review new records from hit R&B newcomer Miguel and indie rock heroes Grizzly Bear. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You are listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. Greg, speaking of trying again, as Aaliyah just was, Microsoft is once again trying to challenge Apple's domination of the music world via its iTunes store. You will recall when Microsoft launched with great fanfare its Zune project, this device that would rival the uh, iPod and this service that would rival iTunes. It was a spectacular disaster, one of several that Microsoft has had in recent years. Now they are trying again. They are going to launch at the end of the month this new Xbox music service. Now, it can be confusing here because the Xbox in the title of Xbox music service isn't necessarily confined to the Xbox that many of you may have in your homes as the uh, premier game console that you love. The one success that Microsoft really has had over the last decade is that its Xbox game console has been on top of the market 21 consecutive months as the top-selling game console in the U.S., For a lot of other Microsoft products, especially anything with Windows in the name, the story has been a lot bleaker. Hence, Microsoft avoiding the name Windows, or Zune, which is now dead and buried, and naming this new service Xbox Music. What is it? Well, you'll be able to use your Xbox Music console as a much more active home multimedia hub for music and for video. But... Xbox Music also will be available on the new Windows Phone 8 and uh, eventually on the Microsoft tablets. They're frantically trying to catch up with the iPad. It's going to be doing a lot of the things that iTunes does, Greg. On launch, there only will be 18 million songs available to purchase and download, but the goal by Microsoft is to get up 
quickly to 30 million tracks. But there are also going to be some aspects of the streaming services like Spotify, Pandora, and their competitors to this Xbox music. You'll be able to compile playlists and to share tracks with your friends and to stream audio. It is essentially Microsoft's bid to get back into the music world in a major way. There was an incredible story in Vanity Fair in August titled How Microsoft Lost Its Mojo, basically noting that Steve Ballmer has not been the forward-thinking CEO that Microsoft founder Bill Gates was. This is him trying to get back in the game. Will he succeed in music? It's going to be fascinating from the music angle and from the tech business angle. are all due and the baby needs shoes and I'm busted cotton is down to a quarter of a pound but I'm busted Busted by Ray Charles, and that is what is going to happen to you, Jim DeRigatis, if you ever take a tour bus into Sierra Blanca, Texas. That is a notorious checkpoint for the United States Border Patrol and they are noted for checking thousands of vehicles every day at that checkpoint. Rock stars, rap stars, entertainers, their tour buses pull through there with regularity. And with regularity, they are getting busted for various charges. The latest, the rapper Nelly, one of the members of his staff on his tour bus, was arrested for possession of marijuana, 36 bags of heroin, and a wow. loaded pistol. This follows on the heels, 2010, Willie Nelson, famous pot bus, six, six ounces of pot found on his tour bus, was arrested. In January of this year, Snoop Dogg arrested on a misdemeanor drug charge. In September, a lot of a brouhaha around Fiona Apple being arrested for hash and marijuana possession. She talked about it on stage in Houston a couple of days later. Now, Nelly, the latest in the series of entertainers who have been arrested at that checkpoint. At some point, you got to think the tour bus drivers of America are going to get together and say, guys, gals, we've got to make sure that our buses are completely cleaned out before we hit the checkpoint at Sierra Blanca. Otherwise, we are going to be in big trouble. You wonder if somebody's going to get the message sooner or later. Well, either that or take out a map and figure out a different <laughs> route. Listening to Sound Opinions, and that is the track Would You Be My Love by Ty Siegel. We recently had the opportunity to host Ty and his band at a live taping at Chicago's Lincoln Hall, thanks to Maker's Mark. This young musician grew up in Orange County, California, but he made his mark in San Francisco's vibrant garage rock scene. We've said it before, Greg. Ty Siegel is nothing if not prolific. We have had eight albums from him since 2008, including three this year alone, and that's not even counting releases from the half dozen other bands that he plays with. The common thread through all of this music is that combination of pop melody and fuzzed-out chaotic noise. We heard it on the Ty Siegel Band's recent release, Slaughterhouse, which got a double buy it on the show, and now we have Twins, a solo record with Ty playing all of the instruments for Chicago's Drag City label. Yeah, Jim, not only can he play all the instruments on his recordings, but his knowledge is what impresses me the most. He goes all the way back to the 60s. He's a true student of rock history, and you can hear it all in his music, that spacey acoustic stuff, the driving psychedelic rock, touches of metal, some cool chamber pop touches. It's all there. So let's go now to our live recording at Lincoln Hall with Ty Siegel. We're going to bring Ty Siegel out. Welcome, Ty. There he is. Thanks. 
Ty, you have had a long and storied career. You packed a lot of action into uh, the last four years alone since you've become the solo artist. But I, I want to take it back to uh, growing up in Southern California. Laguna Beach, right? They yes. made a TV show. It was so popular, that uh, part of they the country. Did. They did, yeah. yeah <laughs> and I you was, were uh, living it down ever since. Yes, yes. No, yeah, the, uh, my freshman year at college was a real drag. A real drag. I lied a lot about where I was from. I was from L.A. <laughs> an, an, hour, an, an hour and a half south of L.A., which is not true from an hour south, so I was stretching it a bit. To well, get it. well, I've heard these stories before. You're, you're, one of your bands created an awesome parody version of the show the mtv reality show that was on for a while what exactly was it about laguna beach that just really ticked you off that the the tv show i'm saying not the laguna well, beach that you grew up in i uh i went to school with all those kids i was uh that first season i don't know if any of you guys have seen that show i actually watched like almost every episode because i had to cause, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. i went to school with those kids and um it's all fake it's all scripted and what's weird is i don't know if you guys familiar with anybody on the show like Kristen Cavallari she was in my Spanish class she was actually the nicest person out of anybody on the on that show and they portrayed her as the worst the villain so everything about it was horrible and after that show a bunch of new money came into my hometown and got really weird they eventually outlawed skateboarding for a year all this crazy stuff happened it was really really strange so all my friends and I were just like we're so anti-MTV, it's not even funny. So we just, we had to do something, so we'd, we'd made this music video that's just ripping on it. Previously on the LB. I've been dating Ty ever since Cabo, but lately it's like his band is so important to him, I don't feel like I come first anymore. Well, at least you're top eight. Dating someone like Ty is a challenge. It's like trying to fit a square into a circle. I don't know why she's tripping, man. I'm not sure if it'll last. Do you love him? Orange County, though, has got this rep as an incubator for a lot of punk rock bands. You played in a bunch of punk bands there. What's the reality of it? Was it a great scene? Was it a good place for a young guy who wants to play music to be uh, making music? You know, now it is. You know, Orange County is known for skinheads and, and violent punk rock. And, uh, we, and, and, we, and real housewives. And real housewives. <laughs> I mean, we lived in sort of the more affluent portion of Orange County, where most of the music was coming out of is like Huntington Beach and uh, more east like Santa Ana and Long Beach and stuff. But there are a lot of great punk bands like The Stitches and uh, this band Le Shock. way into like uh, old Huntington Beach bands like TSOL and all that stuff but it really wasn't very supportive of, of music when we were growing up uh, there was really just LA you'd go and play the smell in LA if you were lucky mm-hmm. and that's the spot you know that was the goal you could make it to the smell if you made it to the smell you could you could stop and I remember <laughs> when we were when I was 18 we made it to the smell and I was like yeah. we're done man that's it I'm done <laughs> can't get better than this game over but um, it's really insane now because I feel like uh, a lot more kids are playing in bands and there's a lot more places to play. There was nowhere to play. That was the problem. And there's, there's things, you know, affluent small towns, they don't like house parties, so you can't really do that either. Mm. But one cool thing is the surf music culture down there, really. A lot of people, uh, it really affected them in a really great way. Like, I'm pretty sure that's why we all have... Fender twin reverbs now and stuff. Well, how did you, you know, your albums have such evidence of, of such a deep knowledge of garage rock, you know, outdoing beef hearts, diddy wah diddy on the new record, okay? It, it is. It's, it's extreme. He wishes he was that nasty. Oh, man. Um, wow. Crazy. And I love Beefheart, as you know. That's a bold statement, my friend. 
you go back? I mean, I read somewhere that you said you never heard the 13th floor elevators until like a week after you moved to San Francisco. Then you finally bought the yes. record. Yeah, it's true. No, I was just more of like a skate punk kid when I was in high school. Black Flag and Minor Threat, Circle Jerks, all that stuff. Yeah, San Francisco, man. That's really what. So that's when moved you there and going week, back. Yeah, weekend I was like at Amoeba and it was you're gonna miss me's on the stereo and I was like, what is this stuff? <laughs> you know. And then I just nerded out for a full year. You're listening to a special live recording of the Ty Siegel Band. Here's the song Death on Sound Opinions. was the Ty Siegel Band playing Death live at Lincoln Hall in Chicago. Coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, more from Ty and the Band. And later, we review the second album from breakout R&B star Miguel.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Codd here with Jim DeRogatis, and that's Thank God for Sinners by San Francisco garage rocker Ty Siegel. It's been a busy 2012 so far for Ty, to say the least. He released an album with White Fence in April called Hair. Then in June, we got Slaughterhouse with his band, the Ty Siegel Band, and the track you just heard is from his latest solo album, Twins. So whether it's a solo release or a collaboration, there's one thing that all of these records have, and that's the merger of noise and melody. Back in July, we had Ty and the band join us on stage at Lincoln Hall here in Chicago for Sound Opinions Live, sponsored by Maker's Mark. The fans got the chance to lose their hearing during the band's live set, and we got a chance to ask Ty about his roots in the infamous Laguna Beach, California scene. This is an artist who's been in bands since he was a teenager. Epsilon's, his high school band, was a respected garage rock outfit in Southern California. So I wondered if this is always what he wanted to do for a living. You can tell you're into this music stuff. I mean, when you talk about it, when you play it, it's clearly your life. But here you go up to up the coast to San Francisco to go to college, right? Your media studies of all things. I mean, the only career worse than being a musician and trying to get paid is being in media hmm. trying to get paid. Was that just sort of like, I'm going to make my parents happy and go to college? Or did you always know, hey, I'm, music is what I'm going to do. It doesn't matter. Nothing's going to stop me. I made a deal with my dad. My dad said, you, you go to college and you graduate and you can be a garbage man or you could be a bum you could be a surfer you could do whatever you want you just have to do it so i yeah so i i fulfilled my obligation <laughs> and uh and my parents are really happy with how everything's going well you get hit with this i mean you're incredibly prolific we were joking about this before you i think even you had lost track of how many records you'd put out just in the last two years i mean some people would say he records too much you know, he should be a little pickier about the stuff that he releases. I know most of the people in this room are saying, no, no, we want more. But how, what's your attitude about putting out as much stuff as you do? Well, it was, it was, it was different when I started because it was kind of a competition. You had to get in the game and do it as fast as possible. For, for me, because I, I was always under the assumption, uh, man, I don't know how many records I can do after this. Like, oh, my God, they want to do a 7-inch. Let's go right now. Let's do it. Oh, another one, let's go. I don't know, you know, and eventually you're like, whoa, I think I can keep go, keep doing it. I don't have to say yes to everything. And so ev- eventually uh, it slows down a little bit. Now I'm trying to not do as much and make everything better. But it's well, kind of like Well, you're taking it easy in 2012. There were four records last year, and this year there's only going to be three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Slaughterhouse, which just came out, Ty Siegel Band. We have to ask about that. First one credited to the band. Hair, which you did with Tim Presley, right? Mm-hmm. And then another record on Chicago's fine Drag City label as a solo record again, right, Ty Siegel? Yes, in October. Yeah. In October, yeah. What's the difference between Ty Siegel solo in October and Ty Siegel slaughterhouse with the band? It's everybody. The band is everybody uh, writing all the songs together, doing it all totally collaborative in every definition of the word. You know, Michael... Cronin, he's, he, he plays bass and sings on it. It's like I would come up with a riff and Michael would write the bridge and then Charlie would write the, uh, the ending jam out thing or Charlie would write the leads and I would put a harmony over it or whatever. Mm. It's completely everybody involved in, in every way. And I could never make a record like that on my own. For me, I take a long time to, to record now. This one we did it four days. Four days, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> well, with the band, it took four days because it was with the band. It was live. It was great. But you're capable of making records on your own. You play all the instruments, one-man band kind of deal. I, I think that the trick for me is that it sounds like a band playing in real time. What's the trick? Thank you for the compliment. I don't know if there's a trick. Just, just do it. Put the drums down first and put the rest on and see how it sounds. Scrap it if it sounds bad. Do you have to get yourself in a particular state to record? 
You know what I'm saying? A mindset uh, like, you know, because obviously when you're on stage and feeding off an audience, it's one thing. But when you're in a room by yourself. There's different things. At, with the band, I couldn't do some things unless I, I had some shots of, wh- of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I'm recording vocals, I have to hold a guitar, pretend like I'm playing. There's just little things I have to do. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you lay the guitar down first and then you put the drums on to make it out of time it sound 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 weird seems like you had a vision for Slaughterhouse because during the Goodbye Bread interviews you were talking about how the next record was going to be, could be, the most messed up thing you ever recorded. You were talking about Hawkwind and Sabbath and for a while you were saying I want to make an evil space rock record. What did that mean to you? Loud, tripped out, evil, yeah, nasty, (laughs) bloody, dying, sounds of dying. Pain, sounds of pain, but old and futuristic sounds of pain, not realistic sounds. <laughs> but somehow those melodies from Goodbye Bread and your quieter records are on this new record. It's that sour-sweet combination. I try to run away from the pop, and it just comes back, man. You can't get it out. I try to do as much different stuff as I can, and there's not too far you can go when you play rock and roll. And uh, I don't know how to play keyboards. I don't know drum machines. I don't know any of this stuff, but... That's one area we hadn't visited, the uh, super fuzz, Hawkwind, weird space space stuff. So we wanted to go there. Alice Cooper, mm-hmm. get a little bit of that in there, maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we're going to play an old song. It's about uh, a feeling that uh, you know you have, but you just can't put a finger on it, I guess. Finger on it, performed by the Ty Siegel Band in front of a live Sound Opinions audience. You wouldn't expect it listening to the band's huge sound, but Ty started out as one of those lo-fi bedroom recording artists. On Twins, he's back alone in the studio, and during our conversation, I asked him about his goals for this new record. 
the goal was to put this fuzz pedal on, on every song that I use. The fuzz were <laughs> this thing. It's my favorite pedal ever. Put just more pop music through the fuzz pedal. Mm. That was the only goal. So like, let's see what happens <laughs> if we put a fuzz pedal on every single guitar line almost. Big on the master plans. That's basically it. sort of playing into that whole, you know, Ty Siegel purist mode here. I don't know about this digital stuff. And the, the stuff that gets slung at you all the time, you know, lo-fi, vinyl junkie, analog junkie. Does it ring true for you? I mean, is that what you are? Is that what, are I, those the things that you hold dear? I mean, I always listen to vinyl because it's cheaper, sounds better, and, uh, you, you know, you can find everybody knows this is nowhere for a dollar somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why would you buy a $15 CD? But yeah, I, d- I do think it sounds better. I'm not against digital in any way. That first record I did is was di- on a digital 8-track. I don't ever tell anybody that. Wow, well, I was going to mm. say, does Jack White know that? I mean, he might be very upset right now. Uh, I don't know if Jack <laughs> White even knows who I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Um, One of the uh, the favorite quotes I've read from you in an interview is that you, you've been working on your lyrics in recent songs, uh, working harder, and that you one day hope to write a song as deep and profound as the Trogs, I Want You. <laughs> Do you guys know this song? The tr- I Want You is just two and a half minutes of, of Reg Presley lasciviously droning, I want you. What did you mean? <laughs> well, it's uh, it's just so simple. It's it's perfect. It's uh, you just you stumble upon. Hopefully, one day one will stumble upon a a perfect line and deliver it in the perfect way. And it it doesn't really have to be in, intellectual or deep in any way. It just has to be that whatever that is. Whatever uh, the that does sort are. of say it all. You know, I want you. It speaks to everyone and everything. You know? <laughs> okay. It's That's a universal. very San Francisco Zen kind of thing to say. Yeah. I don't know. For me, it's, yeah, that song hits, hits me hard, you know? So many intellectual songs, like old folk songs, really don't hit me hard anymore. It's this to-the-point thing that kind of hits me now. So, Thank you. <laughs> this song is just, um, it's on that uh, record Slaughterhouse, and it, uh, it's about these... Uh, Two people who are in love saying goodbye to everyone else. It's called Wave Goodbye. Oh 
We want to thank Ty Siegel for being our guest on Sound Opinions. Ty, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having us. Thank you. That last song was Wave Goodbye, performed by the Ty Siegel Band. To see a video of Ty and the band in front of a live audience at Lincoln Hall, visit soundopinions.org. And we want to hear from you. Did you catch Ty's performance? Are you a fan of the latest Garage Rock revival? Leave us a comment about that or anything else in the world of rock at 888-859-1800. Coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, reviews of much-buzzed-about new records from Miguel and Grizzly Bear.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim Dirigatis, and that is the track Adorn from the latest Miguel album, Kaleidoscope Dream, the second album from Miguel Pimentel, who was born 25 years ago in Los Angeles. He was signed to Jive in 2007 and really got going more as a songwriter than a performer initially. He started writing songs for people like Asher Roth, Mary J. Blige and Music, and uh, most of Usher's Raymond vs. Raymond album. Meanwhile, Jive took its time putting out his debut album, All I Want Is You. It didn't make it out till November of 2010 and was off to a pretty slow start, uh, dying a slow death, actually, until uh, six, seven months later, the song Sure Thing finally hit, rose to number one R&B, and uh, bumped the album up the charts. It got into the top 40, finally. I think that enabled him to start working on Kaleidoscope Dream in earnest, and he really went to town. He, he released the first three parts of this record in an EP form, and uh, the single Adorn, which you just heard, ended up getting 10 million views on music sites around the country and eventually went to number one R&B. Now, finally, the full album is here, Kaleidoscope Dream. Here is the title track from Miguel on Sound Opinions. Kaleidoscope Dream by Miguel from the album of the same name. Greg, right off the bat, I love this record. This is an incredible record. I've said it a couple of times so far in 2012. We are having an extraordinary year for musically inventive R&B as well as R&B that dares to contradict the last 15 or 20 years of stereotypes and cliches that we've gotten from that genre. I'm talking about a young man of 25 who loves sex, okay? Like every R&B artist who ever lived, but he is brave enough and secure enough to express his self-doubts and his insecurity to not disrespect women when he's asking how many drinks, as in how many drinks to get you to go home with me. It's not in a lascivious, predatory way it's in am i worth no matter how many drinks i buy you ever going home with i find this incredible lyrically and i find it very rewarding musically there is a heavy duty psychedelic element here as any record named kaleidoscope dream should have but you know the 
names of those three EPs that came out that had many of these songs in earlier versions were art dealer chic. He is taking artistic experiments as a musician, heavy synthesizer, lush backgrounds one minute, spare acoustic guitar. When do you hear that in mainstream R&B? The next minute. This is a buy it record, as enthusiastic as I can get. Well, the one thing that concerned me when I heard Adorn, the first single from this record, was it's awesome. And it also reminds me a heck of a lot of Marvin Gaye and his sexual healing phase. And I thought, you know, is that a bad thing necessarily? Is this guy just going to come off as a very practiced mimic rather than an artist in his own right? That's kind of like saying you paint too much like Da Vinci or Michelangelo. No, that's the point. It's how, do you, how are you using those influences? And once I got to the whole record, I realized, you know, he's doing these very knowing winks to the past, but he's not just copying them. He's doing something with them. The way he drops in that little interpolation of the zombies' time of the season yes. in the middle of Don't Look Back is really inventive. I mean, the guy knows what sounds good. It is a great seduction record. It it is a soundtrack for a one-night stand. Well-trodden turf. A lot of people have been here before, but few in recent years have done it with the flair of Miguel. Sonically, a fascinating record. Lyrically, more depth and humor than you would expect from this art form. Yes, it is a buy-it record. Listening to yet again a song by Grizzly Bear from its fourth album, Shields. Greg, we had Grizzly Bear on the show in 2009 when they were touring behind Vecca Timist, their third album, and a real breakthrough. This cult following that this band had developed was beginning to broach mainstream territory. It all started out with one guy. Edward Drost, who was from Boston, relocated to Brooklyn, spent 15 months in his bedroom doing this home demo, eventually brought in multi-instrumentalist Christopher Bear. In time, after the release of that first proper album as an album, it became a very democratic quartet. Grizzly Bear presents themselves four guys standing in a line on stage. Daniel Rosen, one of the other band members, emerged as a songwriter, not as prolific as Drost, but very much in the mix. A lot of anticipation for this fourth album. Three years in the making and kind of labored. The band initially, in the summer of 2011, went down to Marfa, Texas. A shout out to uh, KRTS there. They made the album. They decided it wasn't good enough to release. Back to the drawing board with another of the band members, Chris Taylor, producing it. Their goals were to be more collaborative, to really combine Rosen's and Drost's songwriting, and also to be more immediate. If there was a criticism of the band up to this point, it was that they were a little bit obtuse. Are they giving us the goods this time around? Let's hear a song. This is A Simple Answer from Shields by Grizzly Bear on Sound Opinions.
That's a simple answer from Grizzly Bear on Sound Opinions. The new album is called Shields, their fourth studio record. Jim, I, like you, was a big fan of Vecca Timist in 2009. I think it was a career high point for this group and a daunting task to try to follow up a record as good as that one. They've nearly done it. They're just an absolute loveliness to the chamber pop that these guys do. The way they sort of uh, fleck it with this dissonance and these inky textures to sort of give it some tension. You've got these very fragile, wan, introspective vocals and then this beautiful layered instrumentation. If anything, the compositions are even more complex than they've ever been and and really beautiful in spots. Uh, Rosen's got a terrific voice, and what I really love about this record is Chris Bear's drumming. It's almost an orchestral type of approach where he's really playing the song instead of just keeping a backbeat. All great elements. The only thing it's really lacking and what keeps it from being on the par with Vecca Timmis for me is I'm not hearing those songs, the immediacy of those songs like Two Weeks or Cheerleader or While You Wait for the Others that Vecca Timmis had in bunches. This record really lacks that level of songwriting. So I think it's just a notch below for me. I'm going to have to give it a burn it rating. Well, I'm surprised to hear that, Greg, because it's a buy-it from me. I will also chalk this up to you not having had enough coffee today rather than old age, but I actually <laughs> only gave Vecca Timmis two stars on the four-star scale when I wrote a review. I was not a huge fan. I, I don't love the slippery Jeff Buckley voice that we get from Drost, and there's an emotional distance. However, this is the Grizzly Bear album I always wanted. A lot of fans have been angry at the English press, which has been saying... Grizzly Bear has added a bit of Coldplay to the proceedings. I think a bit of Coldplay is what Grizzly Bear always needed in the sense of a little bit more arena rock and grandeur. Usually I'm criticizing arena rock, but these guys were so insular, so serpentine in their arrangements that just a little bit of pop into the prog is what this recipe needed. And now we're getting songs that actually rock. My least favorite moments on the album are the most vecatimist. If we had a four-star scale on Sound Opinions, it's three stars, but that's a buy-it for me. What do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we are going to celebrate Halloween yet again, this time looking at the greatest monster songs of all time. Oh, that's going to be fun. we got some thank yous to say on the way out, Greg. Thank you to Makers Mark and Lincoln Hall and Adam Yaffe for making that live show happen. Thank you to our intern, Griffin Waterman, our assistant producer, Annie Minoff, and, of course, our producers, Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. Meanwhile, our executive producer, our fearless leader, Tori Southside Malatia, has been missing in action since he got pulled over on the highway in West Texas. Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hey, Jim and Greg. This is Eli from uh, just outside of Philadelphia, PA. I love your show, but I always cringe when you guys do the rock doctors. Although Jim did well this time, you hardly ever seem to hit the mark. I submit that the process you use is too subjective. Perhaps you should go for a more objective approach. I'm a physician myself and like use objective measures. I'm also a big fan of the musical genome project at Pandora. Maybe you could give one or two song seeds with which to start a channel and see how that prescription works. Anyway, love the show. Maybe this will work. Thanks. Hi, Jim and Greg. It's Jeremy Shatton from New York City. I just wanted to let you guys know that you have been killing it on the reviews lately. First, you got the Dylan album, and it's a brilliant record. Second, you referenced Young Marble Giants during the XX review, which made me so satisfied because they released one of the greatest records, I think, of the last century. If you think the world is a machine with one 
Trust the promises of the change I'll show But I'd be yours if you'd be mine Hi, this is Jenny. I'm calling about your opinion on Mumford and & Sons. And I gotta tell you, I'm, I was born and raised into a Christian family, a uh, part Methodist, part Baptist that my parents were both pretty much agnostic. And, you know, I never really thought about Mumford and Sons lyrics being biblical at all, but when you brought it up, I thought, wow, what a wonderful idea about bringing the stories to light in a new way. And for people who never even think of it in that point of view, and I hadn't until you said something tonight. I think it's really great that they're bringing that to the masses. And uh, if it does make people think about the Bible, great. And I'm not advocating people thinking about the Bible, but uh, it's a completely different way of looking at it. I think that's wonderful. And I'll be your more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. If you are leading change, building a team, or implementing new procedures, Gonzaga University's online Master's in Organizational Leadership gives you the tools for success. With concentrations in change, global, and servant leadership, you'll get the most relevant training and education to help you tackle any challenge. Visit gonzaga.edu slash leader and find out how Gonzaga's organizational leadership degree can affect positive change in your life and career. That's gonzaga.edu slash leader. 